Hi, this is Jim Lobato. I'm president and founder of a company called The Performance Group. Our business is helping leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and then to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales development company. I want to welcome you to our program about managing change with our guest, Ariane Dubuvon-Saw. She is the author of the book, The First 30 Days, Your Guide to Change. What you're listening to is an edited version of the program that aired live on BizTalk. Ariane, welcome to the program. Uh, it's lovely to be here, Jim. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Well, I'd have to say, Ariane, if you had to pick a topic since last October, I guess being an expert in change would be hitting a home run about right now. You know what? Change was certainly the word of the year last year. <laughs> yeah. And my belief is it's probably going to be the word of the decade. It's going to be the word of the decade is probably right. So we're excited. we're excited having you on the program given the fact that uh, I can't imagine anybody who has not gone through change in the last six to ten months. Absolutely. Whether it's career changes, relationship changes, health changes, certainly most of us have uh, felt a few financial changes as well. Okay. And, and once again, we've had several guests on our show that um, I feel tonight we will not do justice to this topic because of the uh, limited by time. I have a feeling we could talk for two or three hours on this one topic alone. Fascinated by your book. I found it to be a very quick read. I found it to be a, a very easy read and a simple formula to follow in terms of uh, the first 30 days. But what I was fascinated initially about was the uh, obviously the title of the first 30 days because everybody goes through change, but uh, why is the first 30 days so important? You know, it's in the first 30 days that all the emotions of change tend to show up. And what I did for this book, I interviewed a few thousand people going through all types of changes, whether it was job loss, starting a business, going bankrupt, all the way to getting divorced, an autistic child, grieving a loved one. And I became obsessed with finding out why is it that some people are good at change and some people have such a hard time and struggle. Why is it some of us initiate a change and get through it and the other, a whole bunch of us never, never keep going? And what I found was it was really in the first 30 days that a lot of things were decided. The decisions that are important, the emotions that people go through, whether it's fear, doubt, impatience is a big one as well. And in the first 30 days is when the right people show up. So the book is really a metaphor for how to approach any change. It's the nine principles of change. So what was revealed to me while I was interviewing all these things was that there really are ways to make change easier. There are things that people do who are good at change. And I don't know where I read it, but doing the research for our program tonight, uh, I understand you were born and raised in New York City. Is that correct? You know, I was born in New York City, and I was raised in six different countries. Oh, that's where I was going. So, okay, so born in New York City, raised in six different countries, getting your degree at 19, going right to the Boston Consulting Group, which is you know, one of the leading consulting firms in the nation, if not the world, yeah. and then going on to get your MBA. If anybody was setting themselves to be conditioned for change, it would have to be you. You know, I often joke that change was sort of very much in my DNA from the get-go. I think, you know, whether it was different cultures, different religious environments, going to seven schools before the age of 18, I certainly think uh, 
I had to get good at change. And, you know, I, I do a lot of public speaking. One of the things I tell people is if you're a parent, you must teach your kids about change, especially in the world and the environment that we live in. Get your kids comfortable with change. So many of us protect our kids from change. It's all about stability. And then as adults, we come out and we go, oh, my God, I hate change. I'm bad at change. And the reality is we've got, you know, change is the number one life skill to get good at. It's yeah. the number one business skill to get good at. If you want to keep your job, you must become good at change. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's, and it's interesting that uh, that's the number one skill, but it's not taught anywhere. That is very, very much correct. And, you know, my, my humble book was really an attempt to show that, yes, a lot of us struggle with change, but there are ways to learn change. You know, there are these principles that what I call change optimists follow. People who are good at change, I'll give you one, for example, we can discuss as many as you'd like. People who are good at change are not alone. A lot of the times, so many of us struggle and we go, I'm the only one going through this. No one else has ever had such a hard time starting this business or whatever it might be. And the reality is there's always someone that can help. There's always someone who's been through it. There's always someone who can close the gap. As long as we get out of our mind, our ego, our shame, our fear, and actually reach out to everyone I interviewed could always identify someone who was helping them through that change. Okay, before we dive into the book, I, I have to ask you that, um, and maybe it's just your life experiences of having so much change at, at an early age, uh, what prompted you to, to either take that experience or take what you know and start off on this mission, not only to start a company uh, the first 30 days, but also then to write a book on it? What, what was the the trigger an event where it changed for you? Yeah, I, I love this question. You know, my last proper job was I ran a $500 million venture capital fund for Time Warner. Yeah, yeah, there's, Time no, Warner. There, there's no change with that then. <laughs> <laughs> here in, a, here uh, in New York City. And you know what I realized was I had climbed this sort of very high ladder and it was the wrong ladder and it was leaning up against the wrong wall. And I'd always really followed the track of what I thought was expected of me. You know, it was you know, this kind of a degree and then consulting and then business school. And I, I just was living someone else's life and someone else's projection. And I'd never really been told I was an entrepreneur. I certainly didn't think I was an author or a speaker or any of the things that I find myself sort of being today. And I remember every morning having this inner voice going off going, Ariane, you're in the wrong job. Or, you know, Ariane, you're in the wrong relationship. That one was going off too, by the way. And those two things kept on, like, biting at me. And I think for most people, we, we do hear that intuition and that inner voice. And yet to survive and to keep going, we turn it off every single morning. And to me, it just got so incredibly loud that I was like, I just need to be honest with myself. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, um, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. <laughs> and to me, it was like, it pissed me off that I putting so much of my time and energy into these very prestigious big jobs but then eventually I was like this is not it's not really what I wanted to be doing and I eventually I took some time off and what I noticed was that every single person I was meeting was in one of three categories they were either struggling with a life change they secretly wanted to make a change or they were helping someone else with a change and it was just all around me and I, I think because I was out of a job and my antenna were up I became very observant, and I started interviewing people informally that were going through change. And I just became really passionate about doing something that helped and made a difference and 
this was three, four years ago. So this is way before change became sort of in. And I just was like, why is it that when someone loses a job, they feel they're the only person that's going through it? Or when someone gets divorced, we're not sort of helping each other out and learning and growing from each other's experiences. Yeah, it, it, it seems to be the human condition. No matter what you're going through, you feel isolated, that you're the first person on the planet that is experiencing this. And, or, and, and I don't know how it is with women, but I know how it is with men. They have that sense of um, rugged individualism or that cowboy mentality that I'll hang in there and I'll figure it out myself. Totally uh, true. Uh, you know, one of, uh, one of the things I noticed was that the emotions that people go through change are pretty similar. And, you know, the women hang out in shame and they hang out in guilt. You know, a lot of the men hang out in impatience. You want to, like, you know, move through this change very quickly, even though sometimes change has its own timeline and agenda. But talking about not being alone, you know, I wanted to create a place where you could find someone at any time, day or night, that was going through a similar change. I started this website, had no idea how big it was going to get. It was sort of my little project. And we have over a million people on the site going through anything from the first 30 days of meditating, the first 30 days of using Facebook, the first 30 days of finding a job you love. So really creating an environment where other people are going through the same change. Sometimes when you're going through change, it's much easier to connect with someone who's brand new than sort of a loved one or a family member or even a best friend who doesn't quite want you to change. So let's give that website. It is www.first30days.com. And that's what I found unique about your website. I, and as, as I scroll through here, here in the studio, because I do have it up, I was looking for the first 30 days of learning how to text. <laughs> well, that's a good one. I, I don't know if we have that out there, but uh, I figured I, I needed to start texting and change the, my attitude towards that so I can start talking to my children. And uh, so, I'll give you a personal lesson in that. Yeah, there we go. But it's interesting on your website, you, you literally on the left-hand side of the website, you have all the changes that people go through. But in, in, and just to reiterate what you're saying is I can go out there and click on that and get connected with other people that are going through similar things. Is it like a, is it like a chat room? Are gonna, uh, what other resources are available on the website? Well, you know, so we have 60 life changes in career, family, finances, new directions, love, relationships, etc. And within every change, we have a lot of free content, so free articles, mistakes to avoid, most important things to get done. We've interviewed experts that are specific to that subject. Again, you can get those for free. And really targeted, what must I know in the first three days of starting a business? What are the mistakes that entrepreneurs make, as an example? Then we've got an environment where you can ask a question, get your questions, you know, look at all the other typical questions that people have when they're going through that change. We have a place where people can share their tips, their resources, most important books to read, if that's what you want. And then we have a podcast, we have videos. So it's really wherever people feel that they want to go. We have 30 days of email where if you want us to hold your hand through the first 30 days of starting a job, you will hear from us every day for 30 days. Um, We have, you know, really what people need. I, I say if you are going through a change, you are someone who will benefit from a lot of these different resources depending on, you know, are you more connected to other people or are you more the sort of person to want to go towards experts? Because we certainly offer both. So, Arianne, what's interesting is I, is I dove into your book here over the last several days. Uh, you know, when we're going through change, it generally means we're moving from one thing to another. You know, we could be moving from one job to another. We could be moving from one school to another. 
We could be moving from one town to another. And when we do that, we have a tendency to look at what either we're leaving behind or what we're losing. In other words, we're moving over to here, but this is what I left behind. And we start doing that comparison. And you talk about this in your book. There is danger in that. So what's what's the danger you know, when you move through that change of one thing to the next, because the tendency is to look at well, what you're giving up or what you're actually losing. Very much so. I actually love this question. You know, when you go through change, there's always a process of what I call letting go and grieving. Even the good changes, you know, when people get married, when people have a baby, sometimes those changes don't feel as good as we expected. And it's always because there's something that's being let go. There's something that's being lost. You have what I call a letting go muscle. You have a part of you that is good at sort of letting things go sort of naturally. What happens and what gets in the way is when you're in between two trapezes, for example, and you're not quite over in the other trapeze, you haven't quite caught it, even though you can see it and it has your name on it and you know you're going to get there, the only way to actually get to that is to let go of the past trapeze. And one of the things that I found is that people who are good at change they have an ability to accept what they need to let go. So let's say someone's lost their job. Someone who is in the resistance of, I've, I've lost my job, I don't accept it, I don't accept it, I don't accept it, they're never going to be able to reach for the next thing. It's when you move through the acceptance of it that there's actually the next job that shows up. I think when people sort of go into the, I've lost this, I've compared, we lose sight of the good that will actually come from this what I call the change guarantee, which is from this change or from this loss, something good will come. Every single person that's gone through some tough changes that I've interviewed was always able to identify the something good that came. When we're in that middle part, though, which is uncertainty and doubt, what we forget about is that life is actually on our side. Life is moving us in the right direction. You know, it was Einstein that said the most important decision you'll ever make in your life, and this certainly applies when you're going through any sort of change, is to decide whether life is a friendly universe or an unfriendly universe. So is life conspiring for you or against you? And I think we lose track of that when we're going through change. We assume the worst. We assume that the change is permanent. We assume that the change is personal. I caused it. I'm the problem. And the reality is that life will always sort of guide us gently towards a job that might be better, a relationship that might be better, for example. And you, and you mentioned uh, also in your book, uh, I think this is a direct quote, uh, where you say, you know, this is moving from one to the next when you're in that, that the mid-zone there. You say, don't deny the darkness or it will show up again. <laughs> what do you mean by that? You know, the emotion that you most resist when you're going through change, so let's say someone doesn't want to feel the fear, doesn't want to feel the fear, doesn't want to feel the fear, in some ways you're fueling that because the fear is ultimately becoming bigger and bigger and bigger because you haven't accepted that it's there, you haven't quite acknowledged it and made it sort of put it in the light. So when you're, you're not quite accepting that an emotion is there, it ends up pretty much ruling. So if you are paralyzed with fear, and so many of us are right now, the one thing I would say is get friendly with the fear. I mean, I go through fear all the time before I do, you know, live TV show. Of course the fear is there. But if I was to deny the fear, it would actually start taking me over as opposed to putting the fear in the passenger seat, continuing to sort of 
take a step forward, take a step forward. So it's it's about letting some of that darkness happen because to me what I've found is people who are good at change never consider any emotions as being dark. Every emotion is a good emotion. And I think we need to be given permission to be human. We need to be allowed to feel sad and fearful and angry and frustrated. But we've been told all our lives it's not okay to feel those. Don't feel those. I'm a big believer. Like I know there's real strength when you allow those emotions through. You allow them to move through you as opposed to keeping them stuck inside of you. And I just want to paraphrase. I think what you said about the change guarantee earlier on is what you're saying is when uh, I think it's a quote somewhere. We've heard it a thousand times that when whenever a door closes, there's actually a window of opportunity that opens. Yes. Is it, so you're, you're saying or, that that's the guarantee of change. Another way of putting that is hidden in any misfortune is good fortune. And the word there that's important is hidden, right? It's not immediately obvious when you've just been diagnosed, when you've just been fired, when, some, when you've just lost a deal. The fortune and the gift in why this might be a good thing is very often hidden. And it's hidden for a little while. Sometimes we need to move a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months to understand why you lost the deal why you were let go from a particular company. But the most important belief to remember when you're going through change is from this change, something good will come. And it happens every time. I've interviewed people who've lost loved ones, who've really gone through tremendous change, and no one's never thrown a cup of coffee at me. They've always said, you know what, you're right. Here are three good things that came from that change. So that's certainly in these kind of times a primary belief to hold on to. And it's interesting because you, you almost the foundation of what you're talking about is that, um, first of all, it starts with the change guarantee, that, that something good will come from this. And then you move on to say in your book that life is your partner. And I, I've never heard it expressed that way. I don't think people tend to think of life being a partner. But what did you mean by that in your book? When I say life is your partner, I mean that life is, always abundant. And that was another thing that was revealed throughout the book in these interviews was that people who are good at change believe that there are more jobs out there. There's more money out there. There's more lovers and relationships out there. There's more deals out there. There's not a scarcity of it. So life is constantly providing more to you. And for someone who's good at change, they go out looking for, well, what is life going to provide next? They don't go into, oh, my God, there's never going to be another soulmate or there's never going to be another deal to be had. There's always more, and life has a certain way of manifesting something uh, something else, something more. So it's, it's really that, it's what Einstein said. It's sort of, do you think life is friendly and on your side and your partner, or is it against you? And that makes a dramatic difference as to how you navigate change. Well, and what you're saying is whatever you believe is going to be right. In other words, what, what, well, you get what you focus on. You know, I was talking to some graduates last week, and I was like, if you believe and focus on that there are no jobs, life will tell you there are no jobs. If you act as if no one told you there were no jobs, and you take a fast from the news, so you don't even know what people are telling you, the attitude of which you will approach your you know, job interviews, for example, will be radically different. You get to choose what you let in. You get to choose either the optimism or the pessimism. You know, the very first thing I talk about in this book is people who who got through any type of change were all, all were optimists. 
there was some sort of optimism that kept them through this. All right. So one question here, and I'm going to tell you a recent incident happened with me, and I'm going to talk about the voice that's like always in the back of your head you don't listen to. I took the CTA from O'Hare this weekend from out of O'Hare down to downtown Chicago, which is the blue line, to get downtown on the CTA. And typically I'll take a cab, but I figured, what, well, oh, this time let's just do something different. And as I got off the CTA and was uh, ready to catch uh, a cab to actually take me uptown, this a voice in the back of my head was screaming, where's your wallet, where's your wallet? What are you going to do if you don't have your wallet? Because I actually flew into Chicago, had worked for a couple of days, and I was going to fly back home. Sure enough, I got to the end of the platform as the train was pulling away, don't have my wallet. Now, I, I can't tell you in, in I don't know. 30 years of being in business, I've misplaced my wallet twice. Misplacing your wallet in either New York or Chicago on the CTA is probably not the best place. Uh, the rest of the story is, by the way, the CTA found it. Everything was intact, including the cash and the credit cards. So hands off to the CTA in Chicago. But my, my question is, I can't be the only person who has this voice in the back of their head screaming, where's your wallet, or screaming, you're in the wrong job or screaming you're in the wrong relationship, or screaming you're in the wrong investments. And we have a tendency to do like I do, which is just walk past that voice. Is there a trick? Is there a tactic? Is there something you can tell our audience where we can slow down and start listening to that voice, which tends to be uh, either the voice of intuition or the voice of something that tells us what we should be doing? Yes, 100%. So... Here's another principle that people who are good at change yes. are very, very in touch with their intuition. So they will go inside for answers, not outside. It's not in every book. It's not in every expert. It's not in the newspaper. It's not on Facebook. That is not where answers are. So people who are good at change take the time to really go inside and create a certain amount of relationship with what I call your higher self, the bigger part of you. And you can call it a spiritual connection to something bigger that's sort of speaking through you. A lot of people do. A lot of what I call these change optimists believe that something bigger is going on. But in the sort of the day-to-day example of you're in the wrong job, you've lost your wallet. I actually forgot my wallet yesterday going to a movie. And you know what? The minute I got in the cab without any money, I had the voice going too. And so it's it's a very human thing to go, your mind and your brain knows better than your intuition because we've been validated for our minds and our brain. So we don't necessarily, in the, in the world we live in today, give any awards or honors or degrees to anyone who has good gut feel, good judgment, or good intuition. And I find more and more when I do listen to that, Ariane, take an umbrella, it's going to rain. Well, no, it's a beautiful day. No, take an umbrella, it's going to rain. I tend to sort of, it's like, it's like a new relationship that you create with yourself. But you've got to give yourself some credit for that coming from a place of knowledge and wisdom and answers. Yeah. And so many of us don't do that. Yeah, it's really about trusting what that voice is saying. So far, we've talked about the change guarantee. We've talked about listening to that voice in the back of your head, which is trusting your intuition, which is you do such a good job in, in the book explaining that and getting in tune with that. And then you go on to say uh, disempowering questions that tend to get in our way. And because um, one of my favorite sayings when I'm working with leaders of companies 
or I'm working with managers of people, I always say that you get 100% of the answers to the questions you ask. If you don't like the responses, then change the questions. And, and that's why I was so excited to read in your book, you talk about pretty much the same thing. So explain to our audience what disempowering questions really are. You know, when you're going through change, we tend to all want to grab control of something. And many of us want to grab control of something like another person or another person's behavior towards us or the stock market. And what I found was when you're good at change, you're just clear on the things that you can control. You can control the words you use, the stories you tell other people, and very specifically, you can control the questions that you ask yourself and sort of that inner dialogue. So disempowering questions, for example, let's say something bad has happened in, you know, professionally, personally, whatever it might be. Here are sort of negative disempowering questions that your brain will answer if you ask them. Why did this happen to me? How could I be so stupid, so blind, so crazy? Why am I so unlucky? Will this ever end? Will I ever feel calm again? How long is this going to last? Why has God abandoned me? So very difficult questions to be asking where clearly you are not activating any form of solutions or positive sort of impact as to how you might be able to go through change. So here are examples of questions that will empower you. And the idea is really to just train your brain that when something that you don't particularly like initially happens, to immediately go to these questions. So what could be good about this change? What has not changed? Who can help me right now? Could this change be protecting me from something? Is there an opportunity now that this change has brought me? What have I already accomplished that I can focus on so that I don't feel as if this one change has now impacted my whole life? How can I reward myself right now just for what I have been able to do? The big one is really, what can I learn from this? What can I do about this? Not going into paralysis of, oh, my God, I have no idea. What does my intuition tell me right now? As we talked about intuition, every single mistake I've ever made, personally and professionally, has always been because I haven't trusted my intuition. It's all, you know, I got engaged to a guy and it was wrong for me on my first date. I hired some people in my company. I knew eventually were going to be, you know, people I was going to have to let go, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But it's really about what is the question that you keep asking yourself that's a negative question. I say to people, if you want to change your life, change the questions you keep asking yourself and change what you say to yourself consistently. Ask yourself, what is the worst thing you say to yourself on a regular basis? Because that is the thing that's most holding you back. You know, there's only a certain amount of excuses that get in the way of us making a change or facing a change. I'm too old. I'm too young. It's going to take time. It's going to cost money. Someone's going to get hurt. It's not my nature. I don't know how to start. There are only a certain amount of those excuses and hurdles. So it's really about identifying, well, what is the one for you that keeps getting in the way? And then asking a better question going, how can I get over this excuse? Who else has gotten over it? Who else has gotten this change that perhaps can help me? So the answers are really there. Your brain's just wait. It's like another file in the computer. But you keep accessing the file that has no answers. It's like, how do you access the file with the answers? And that's just say, I'm choosing to ask a better question. Yeah, and those questions are, are, are in the book, and I know they're out there on your, on your website. And, and the other thing you talked about that very few people don't think about and uh, is initially 
um, seek help by getting support from a team. But also in your book, you say you should ask that people are going to help you the one key question. You said because there are two types of people that will either – well, there's two types of people. The ones that uh, – well, why don't you explain what the two types are? You should ask them this question before you put them on your team that's going to help you. Well, the two types of question, the two types of people, there are people who will get in the hole with you and will commiserate and will cry with you and will blame with you and will get depressed with you and will basically agree with all the difficulty and disaster and unluckiness that you're probably explaining. And then there are people who will look at you in the hole and will basically send you a ladder and will coach you up the ladder and will say, I know it, it doesn't feel good down there. I know I, you have full compassion for them, but they are the people ultimately that are going to get you up the ladder. And so many of us, we prefer the people who are going to sit in the hole and agree that the guy who left us was terrible or the boss who fired us was, you know, an awful person. And those feel a lot more comfortable, that people who are actually going to push you and help you and help you grow in a lot of ways. So, you know, there's a very big difference between someone being what I call a real source of help where they truly, they have not only, you know, ways to help you, but they believe you can change. They might even have gone through the change before you. So if you want to lose weight, find someone who's lost weight. If you want to leave the corporate world, find someone who might have left the corporate world and pursued their dream. But sort of look at really where where is that person on that scale. Get the whole person, pull me up the ladder person. Ariane, we have about 30 seconds left. I know you have a special offer for our audience tonight. I do, actually. Anyone who goes to the website, actually, right now, this offer is um, available up until the end of the day tomorrow. We have 12 free gifts um, for listeners. We, what I did is I took the 12 favorite experts that I have on the site and I asked them to give us something free and exclusive. So as an example, I have Wayne Dyer, beloved spiritual teacher, who's given us a whole chapter of his book that's not yet out yet, all about excuses that get in the way. I have Ariel Ford, who gave us something about finding love, finding your soulmate. I have one of my favorite teachers who gave us something about how to handle your finances right now. One of the best trainers in Hollywood. How do you get, you know, the body of your dream? So we really went looking in the 12 areas of change that people want. So if you go to first30days.com right now, you'll see a big, big box that says you can get your free gifts right now. And also, of course, get a copy of the book. Thank you. Ariane de Beauvonson, thanks for being on the program. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website at www.biztalkradioshow.com or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact the Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net.